0: you've ever seen a family go through something very difficult or grow up in a difficult situation you maybe have many siblings involved in the family and they all kind of go through the same thing and of course they may approach it a little bit different and maybe it's slightly different for each one but yet it's interesting how that uh, with a family like that and different siblings how each one of them will respond in different ways to trauma, to a hard upbringing, whatever it may be, and that's, that's fairly normal. Um, occasionally, you might meet somebody that grows up in a tough situation that, you know, maybe perhaps didn't have lies planted in their heart. Maybe they had someone in their life that was there for them, that helped them along, and, and while they were going through it, was able to navigate and continue to put truth in the heart Instead of having Satan there planting lies, all I know is that as far as this world is concerned, the, the, the chances of a family going through something and a child not having, or a teen or a young adult, whatever, not having lies buried in their heart is, is pretty minimal. I mean, that means that uh, it's a far less chance that you're gonna get through there unscathed than being scathed. Amen? Now, the reason why that is, it's because we live in a sin-cursed world. And we are under the dominion of Satan here. And so, the Lord does much for us. And many of you could testify, if you look back at your life, even though you were lost, how the Lord was there. And you know it. You know he was there. You weren't born again. It's not like you were saved. But you still understood that there's something watching over me here. Amen? And so the Lord has an impact no matter where you are. But as far as the details, um, folks, many times we'll go through things <clears throat> and as much as the Lord <clears throat> would just want us to have truth, uh, that, that isn't what happens most of the time. We usually allow lies to be planted in our heart because Satan is right there. We're on his territory and he is working very hard to corrupt hearts. And we know that the Lord, the Bible says, he desires truth in the inward parts. Amen? And that's his desire. But many times what happens is the Lord is in for the long game. And so when he's dealing with someone, he knows that they're being impacted in a very negative way through lies and through a situation. But he also knows the end of this game, the end of that life. And he knows along the way where it is that he can impact that person to deal with the lies that they picked up throughout their life. And so it's not like the Lord didn't care. It's just that there's specific things have to be in place because it's not going to happen by osmosis. It's going to happen by the the truth being entered in, the gospel being presented, uh, regeneration taking place, and then through that, the word of God being presented and taught where they can finally sort through the trauma of their life. That happens much later, you see. And so what you have many times is when you have a family going through something, you've got several different siblings going through the, the, kind of the same thing, and yet they act in completely different ways in response to, to the issues that they're, they're facing in their life. And so one person may deal, or one son, let's say, may deal with an abusive father by lashing back physically. In other words... The way he's handling it is, I've had enough, I'm going to lash out, and maybe he'll grab his dad, maybe he'll uh, hit his father, Uh, it'll come out in anger and come out in wrath. And that's common today. Uh, You may have another brother that will seek to satiate his father. In other words, he doesn't want to rock the boat, and so maybe let's do whatever we can to keep dad from losing his temper. And so what what this son does is just maneuver through and just become a people pleaser in his life. And many times that's where that mentality comes from in people, that people pleasing attitude is because they've learned that from growing up in a situation where they're just trying to navigate through an angry father, an angry home, whatever it may be, or a traumatic situation like that. So they become a people pleaser. Now the third son, instead of... Lashing out instead of uh, being a people pleaser, the third son will run upstairs and hide under the bed, and this is how he'll cope with the abuse in the home. And you know what? It's this is so true. And if you know of anybody that's going through this that has more than one sibling, you'll look at that and you'll see exactly that they all choose different ways of coping with the trauma that they're going through, and yet all of them are sourced in one thing. And it's called the flesh. They're all fleshly responses to trauma in their life. Trying to control the situation. And that's what we're dealing with tonight. Looking at the topic of vows. Vows. So each son had their own wound. And they made vows. They made to control the situation. Resulting in unique strongholds in each one of their lives, yet coming from the same problem, the same background, the same trauma that they're going through. And so we need to look at this and and really evaluate, now how have I handled my life? (laughs) How have I handled the situations that I've gone through? And maybe you didn't have an abusive father and maybe your situation was pretty mellow in the home, but all I know is we all have wounds from something. And we got to ask ourselves, how are we handling it? How are we trying to control the pain of that wound? Because the way you control it is the way your flesh is reacting to that situation. Trying to somehow <clears throat> gain control over the pain that's going on in your life. It's not the way to do it. And that's why we're teaching this. We're trying to find a real way of, of, of freedom. A way that we can walk away from it and have peace in our heart understanding whatever we've gone through is a part of the Lord's purpose for our life. And instead of it being something that makes us worse, it's something that will actually make us profitable and make us better for the Lord's work. And we know that by Romans 8.28, For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to His purpose. But the thing is, in our life it takes time for us to get to the place where we love God and are called according to His purpose. Until then, everything we've gone through doesn't look so good. <laughs> this isn't good. This is bad. I mean, my life is terrible. I, I don't like this. It's, it, it's brutal. I mean, I wish I could redo it. I wish I could quit and start over. And we got all kinds of reasons. Because we haven't gotten to the place where we love God and submit to the calling of God and the purpose of God for our life. But as soon as we find that... All of a sudden, all of these problems from the past, all of our upbringing, it's no longer a curse, it actually becomes a blessing. It becomes something that we look at and say, you know what, there are things that I understand about what people are going through that some people wouldn't have a clue. And God's going to use that in my life, and I'm going to be able to go to these people and help them find freedom, because I know what they're going through. Amen. And that's 2 Corinthians chapter 1, where it talks about you comfort others with the same comfort that you yourselves are being comforted with. Amen. What a powerful truth that is. So one person becomes a tough guy, never letting anybody hurt them, uh, or they would let them have it. That's why people do that. That's why you'll meet some people, and the first thing they do is react as a tough guy, they, they lash out. They don't want you to hurt them. They don't want you to bring any problem into the light. They're going to show you right off the bat, I've got a wall up here and there's a fist connected to it. Amen? That's the tough guy act. The other becomes a people pleaser. They'd be very passive in their life. Always finding a way to keep the peace, to keep from experiencing that pain again. And there you go as well. You'll, you'll see them later on in life, in their family life, on the job or in the church. And they'll be running around trying to please people. <laughs> trying to make sure there's no waves, no, nobody's rocking the boat. Amen? Or the third son, he'll vow to keep his pain away by choosing to run every time he senses it coming. He's the charming one that could win hearts, but would always run Before he gets too close, but usually they're the ones that are the charming ones. They're the ones that are are the the ones that know what to say, you know. But when they feel that pain, they sense that something may happen. Even the 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 just just a smack of it, you know, they're hightailing it. They'll run from you because you are not going to do that to me. And they'll hide underneath the bed. They'll hide somewhere. They'll go somewhere. They'll find their, their safe spot. And that's where they'll go. So all three of these responses to lies in their wounds are wrong. Though some people would favor, I think, the last one over the first one. <laughs> you know, if you could have somebody in the church, I'd rather have you running than punching. You know, but anyway, you look at it, all three of these responses are are wrong and they're sinful. Because they have nothing to do with truth. They have nothing to do with what's right. So we're going to look today about understanding vows. Understanding vows. Now there's good vows. We made a marriage vow. That's a good vow. We made a vow. Uh, Maybe you heard a sermon. He said, Lord, I'm getting rid of this in my life. That's a good vow. You know, I don't want this in my life anymore. Uh, I'm ditching this thing, whatever it is. The Lord has spoken to my heart and I've made a decision I've vowed that before the Lord. Those are good things. But what we're talking about are bad vows. Vows where the flesh is taking control of the problem. And that causes you all kinds of problems and strongholds. Bitterness. Uh, You can actually turn to drugs and addictions. All kinds of things branch out from those kind of vows. So letter A, and I'm sorry I don't have worksheets, I gave you so many worksheets, I'd be writing all week long, you know. So maybe the next time I'd go through this in the future, I'd maybe make you worksheets for it. Uh, but I do have these. If you go to our digital bulletins, all of these slides, the whole outline, is actually right there online. So if you want to go back and get this information, you just go back there and you can get it all from that. Amen? There's your worksheet. All right. And so, letter eight. A, a vow is an I will statement and is often paired with the word never. I will never. (laughs) Amen. And that's exactly what we do. We get hurt, and then we start making these promises to ourselves that I will never let that happen again. I will never let that happen to my family. I will never, I will never, I will never. It sounds good, but it's the flesh. That is not how we handle pain. That's not how we handle situations. We don't make vows like that. We turn to God and we try to understand. (laughs) See, if all I'm doing is making vows, I will never. I'm still looking at that trauma or whatever I've gone through and it's not profiting me yet. (laughs) It's not doing anything for my life until I can rid myself of this vow. Once I can let that vow go and start to look back at the problems that that I've gone through in my life, then I can finally see God in it and I can see Him showing me This is what I want you to learn from this. Amen? You're not going to go through this life without experiencing pain. We live in a sin-cursed world where Satan has dominion and power in it. Now, we know God has ultimate control, but this world is satanic, and that's why Jesus did not pray for it. Amen? I'm not praying for Satan's kingdom. (laughs) Right? And so we have to be careful uh, how we process our past pain. Now, letter B, a vow is an attempt by my flesh to take control of a situation so I don't have to trust God. This is it. This is us pulling up the bootstraps and saying, guess what, I'm going to take control here. God let me go through this. He let me experience this. I ain't going to let it happen again. <laughs> you know? Instead of trusting God with what happened to you and trusting God for the future, I have ripped that from the hands of God and I've made it now my power to control. That's the flesh. Amen? I will never. <laughs> All right? Letter C. Most vows are rooted in pain. A common belief that goes with a vow is the idea that God has let me down and can no longer be trusted, at least in the area of my pain. Now, it may even be in other areas of my life that I trust God in those areas, but where the pain is coming from, I don't trust Him there. And that's when the flesh takes control. Amen. Amen. And that's where you take control of your future. You take control of your family. You take control of the relationships. You take control of who you allow in your life and who you talk to and where I go and how I go and all these kind of things. And we're spending our whole life navigating, staying away from anything that will cause me pain. When in all reality, the pain is an evidence of me believing the wrong thing. And yet I'm changing my whole life over something I can make a choice about and change it. Amen? Letter D. Vows are the vines that grow out of the seeds of Satan's lies. Satan plants a lie in your wound. Vows will emerge out of that. And so you've got to be very careful. <laughs> Folks, I'm not talking to dummies tonight. I know that. I know that I'm talking here tonight, and every one of us has made vows. Every one of us has had the flesh take control in some way. Every one of us could, at the end of this message, make a decision to renounce the vows that we've made. Amen? We can dress up vows very nicely sometimes. We can make them very religious, too. (laughs) Amen? Our vows can be very holy-looking but they're still fleshly. And so we can't live like that. That's not how the Lord wants us to live. He wants us to live in freedom and he wants us to be able to to go through whatever it is the Lord is planning for our life. (laughs) There may be something up the road that the Lord wants you to face and it's going to be very difficult. It's going to bring a lot of pain. And if you don't go through it, all you're doing is prolonging what the Lord wants to do in your life, where he has to pull back and wait maybe another five years and then come back again. See, you can't skip the lesson book with God. You can't, you can't say, Lord, I like lesson one and three, but I'm not going to take lesson two. Or I, I'm not going to go to lesson five. He says, well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to stay on lesson two until you do lesson two. Just like a good parent when they're homeschooling their kids. <laughs> Amen? I, you're not skipping over that. I know you don't love algebra, but you're doing it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I remember I had a young, young man we were helping through homeschool in my first ministry. And he'd come over every week and we'd help him through all kinds of things. And we brought him through his high school and his algebra. He just, oh, he just hated it. Where am I going to use this? I says, Probably never. <laughs> probably never but he says what you will learn is what it's like for a young man to finish something and to do something that he doesn't like to do and that's going to be probably the greatest lesson you're going to learn as a young man there's more to it than just numbers (laughs) amen now maybe where he's at right now also he's in algebra (laughs) I have no idea maybe the Lord used that but you know you can't skip a lesson with God. And I'll tell you something, if you've made vows, you may be sitting there spinning your wheels for decades because you will not be able to finish the lesson book that the Lord gave you. And so you got to let him have his way. Amen? As difficult as it feels, Joseph would not have chosen to be sold into slavery, would not have chosen to be put in Potiphar's house, would not have chosen to go to jail falsely, would not have chosen to be forgotten by those in jail when he could have gotten out, but he had to spend another couple of years in prison because the guys that he interpreted the dream forgot to tell the king about him until the specific right time where the Lord needed him to be there. And then all of a sudden, oh, that's why he waited so long. And yet he was in prison the whole time. Can you imagine if Joseph would have made vows? (laughs) I will never trust another person in my life. Nobody's ever going to hurt me again. You know where he'd be? Still in slavery. Probably killed. (laughs) But that's not how he handled it. He allowed himself to go through it. He humbled himself in the midst of it, and wherever he was, the Lord elevated him to the highest possible place, because he brought himself and his soul to the lowest possible place. In prison, he became second underneath the jail guard. In Potiphar's house, he became second underneath Potiphar. In Egypt, he became second underneath the Pharaoh. All that was because of humility. Amen? Amen? vows he would have never experienced that ever and he wouldn't have been able to save his family from starvation but God used them for that because he wasn't allowing his flesh to gain control of that situation so very important stuff when you begin to believe a lie about yourself you'll begin to make decisions based upon that lie and these decisions develop into vows Promises you make to yourself in order to keep yourself from future pain. We'll avoid situations that will require faith, because a vow is based on not trusting God in a particular area of your life. Amen? So now, in a vow, I'm not walking by faith at all. In fact, I will never take a faith step. Because I'm not going anywhere that there's a potential to feel this pain. And we hide ourselves. We protect ourselves. Or we beat up everybody along the way. (laughs) Amen. There's so many different ways we can handle it. Sometimes the the fights we have in marriages, relationships are conflicts that are are a result of the other unknowingly exposing your vow. And that's why the fight happened. Nobody's ever going to tell me what to do. You know, and in a relationship, I mean, you've got to be able to say what you need to say without having, you know, World War III take place. <laughs> you know what I mean? Vows are detrimental. Number two, let's take a look at understanding the flesh. Letter A, your flesh can be described as you on your own apart from God. That's your flesh. So it's what you are without God. All right, without God, that's the flesh. That's what you do. It's a synonym for our humanity. So when people talk about humanity, it's who we are without God. The world, they talk about humanity. It's, they're talking about all of humanity. Let's do this with humanity. Let's uh, have the values for humanity. They're saying, let's do everything without God. Amen. That's not the way God wants It, it is what ties us to this present age, and all that is fading away is our flesh. Our flesh holds on to this present age like it's, it's, uh, it's our breath of air. We hold on to this world like it means so much to us. The flesh does not want to let it go. But us in the Spirit, we let it go. Us in the Spirit, we're willing to sacrifice. We're willing to give it to God and say, Lord, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter how much money I make. It doesn't matter what position I get. It doesn't matter all these different things. The Spirit lives differently than the flesh. <laughs> The flesh is all about what I can become right now. The flesh loves what is fading away more than what is eternal. Think about that. Your spirit focuses on the eternal, your flesh focuses on the temporal. That's the problem with it. Everything that's temporal, it loves. Everything that is eternal, it hates. The spirit, everything that is eternal, it loves. Everything that is temporal, it hates, amen, because it's cursed. It's done, it's finished. It should change our whole attitude when we're walking in the Spirit. When we look at this world, it should change your whole attitude. If you're still loving the world and it's all about this and you say, I'm walking in the Spirit, you're lying. You're absolutely lying. You're not walking in the Spirit, you're walking in the flesh, (laughs) you're hanging on to the temporal. Someone that's willing to give up the things of God for the temporal things of this earth is not walking in the Spirit. They're walking after the flesh. Amen? Isaiah 40, verse 6. Now we get to our text. (laughs) It says, The voice said, Cry. And he said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all the goodliness thereof is of the flower of the field. It all fades away. It all fades away. we got to keep that in mind as God's people. Letter be. the desires of the flesh are selfish. This is an interesting point. In James 4, verse 1, it says this, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lusts that war in your members? Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, and yet ye have not, because you ask not. The flesh wants what it wants, and does whatever it can to get it. Amen, that's the flesh. So where do those fights come from? Where are those arguments sourcing from? From the spirit? Is the spirit gotten into the fighting now? Is the spirit gotten into arguing? No, it's not it at all. It's your flesh. It's your flesh wanting what it wants. And it'll keep fighting until it gets it. That's why you say, why won't this person just submit already? Why don't they give up? Why are they always going to have the last word? You ever had people like that? They never, they never give in. <sighs> why is that? Well, because the flesh can't give in. The flesh in its very nature is selfish and it will continue doing what it does until it gets what it wants. And that's why vows are so dangerous. Because you will do whatever it takes to control your situation at the expense of others. And you'll hurt many people. There'll be many wars and fightings among you. <laughs> Amen. So we need to evaluate our homes. Are we fighting? Is there anger? Is there arguments all the time? And some people say, well, it's healthy to argue. Well. <laughs> Okay, I'll believe that when I read in the Bible. Chapter and verse. I don't think in heaven there will be any arguments. In God's kingdom, he won't allow the fighting. And so, if that's the case, then why is it it acceptable here? It's not right. You're arguing, you're fighting. It's not healthy. I mean, we, we justify it by saying hey, well, every marriage has a good, healthy fight. And we we justify, we make it sound, we dress it up, and, you know, like somehow it's helping us. (laughs) Like, my goodness, man, it's not helping anybody. (laughs) It really isn't. It's really driving a further wedge between you and your family. So you need to evaluate, why am I doing this? And as long as you're, you know, sugarcoating it and whitewashing it, you're never going to evaluate it on why it is it's happening in the first place. Why is it that we're doing this? Why are we always butting heads? Have I made a vow? Have I created something where I'm not going to give in because my flesh wants what it wants? Amen. Well, the Bible says if we walk in the Spirit, we shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Amen. The flesh wants what it wants, does whatever it can to get it. It can be nice and sweet and innocent. It can be seductive. It can be manipulative. It can be deceptive. It can throw tantrums. It can even become murderous. The flesh will get what it wants. Why are there wars and fightings among you? Because you feel you're not getting what you want. That's why you're fighting. Any fight that happens in a marriage is because whoever's fighting is feeling, I'm not getting what I want. And the reason why that argument is not being resolved is because we're not submitting ourselves to the Lord. As long as the flesh is in control, now we may walk away from each other, but isn't that where the silent treatment begins? Now we're we're just graduating to a different method of fighting. We understand that the the barking isn't working, the nagging isn't working, the anger isn't working. So now let's try cutting people off. Just another method. Wanting the same thing I wanted in the first place just trying to get it a different way. Amen. The flesh will always get what it wants. Amen. So it comes down to desires. What are you desiring? The desires of the Spirit are contrary to the desires of the flesh. The Spirit leads to fruit of the Spirit. The desires of the flesh lead to works of the flesh. And I would encourage you to read that. I'll read through a couple of verses here in Galatians 5 verse 16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that ye would. There's a battle going on in your own heart if you're saved. Letter B, when our minds are set upon the flesh, we live fleshly lives, controlled by its desires. In Romans 8 verse 5 it says this, For they that are after the flesh... Do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so, that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So notice it's saying, it's talking about being in. It's saying, are you in the flesh or in the Spirit? Now, every child of God, if you are born again, you are in the Spirit. And the Bible says that if you're in the Spirit, the Spirit of God dwells in you, and the Lord knows that you are his. But if you are in the flesh, then you're not in the Spirit. In other words, someone that's living in the flesh is a lost person. That's a lost person. They're living in it. Now, you can walk after the flesh, but you can never, as a born-again believer, live in the flesh. We're living, our life is found in the Spirit, not in the flesh. Amen? So that's what it's saying there. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his, it says there. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. So you're guaranteed if the spirit of God is in you, Ephesians chapter 1, 12 to 13 and 14 talks about you're sealed with the Spirit of God until the day of redemption. If you have the Spirit of God inside of you, you have the guarantee that He will raise up your mortal body and He'll transform it into like unto His glorious body. It says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if we live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. In other words, we have a potential, Christians, to live in a way that before you were saved, you could not live. You can live after the Spirit of God. That's an evidence that you're truly a child of God. Amen? It's important for us to see this. Now number two, one of the chief desires, so that has to do with your desires. In you as a child of God, this is why I always say, if I go to somebody that's born again and they're going through trouble or they're going through sin, whatever it is, and I ask them, what would you rather do? Would you rather live close to God, free and experiencing the blessing of God, or would you rather live in your sin? Every child of God will answer the same thing. They'll say, you know what, I'd like to be free from this sin. I would like to walk in the Spirit and do exactly what God wants me to do. But there's a disconnect between how do I do that. (laughs) But the the want to, the desire, it's there. Every child of God will do that. I remember I had a friend, uh, he'd been away from the Lord probably for 10 years. (laughs) I mean, he had a smoking problem, he had periodically had drug problems. And I'd go talk to him periodically... And I'd say, hey, don't you know that you should be in church going, he says, yeah, I know. I mean, after all these years, yeah, I know. I want you, but I just, it's just so hard. They're defeated in their mind. They're defeated in their mind. But because the Spirit of God is in them, they know exactly what they desire. Every one of them. That's why Jesus, when he told the disciples to pray and they fell asleep, he said, The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Amen? That means because Christ is in you, you will always be willing to do what God wants you to do. But do you know what? You probably won't if you are living after the flesh because you've lost hope, you don't know what's happening. You don't understand the lies that are keeping you bound in that fleshly walk. You don't even understand the vows that you've made to keep you there. You understand? So that's why we need the truth. And that's why Jesus told the disciples, If you continue in my word, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Amen? So not only are there desires, but there's also the aspect of being made free as we submit to truth it's called sanctification sanctify them through thy truth thy word is truth john 17 17 amen it's right there so number two one of the chief desires of the flesh is the desire to defend your rights against attacks of others that's a fleshly thing (laughs) turn on the news (laughs) is that the spirit or the flesh You know what's going on in the news in this world? That is stinking flesh from start to finish. All those things going on out there, that's the flesh. You got to be very careful you don't get caught away in the flesh standing up for your rights. If, If that's how you're supposed to handle things, then why didn't Jesus do that? He was innocent. He was innocent. He had rights. <laughs> Amen. Now, folks, I'm not saying that you cannot stand upon the constitution of the land. Even, uh, but, but that doesn't mean that you're going to lose your religion because you're going through suffering and you don't want to go through suffering, so you're going to stop that suffering by using the government or using the constitution or using your rights as a means not to go through the suffering. See, because the Apostle Paul, he went to Philippi and he knew that the moment he delivered that demoniac girl of that spirit, he knew that her, the merchants that were using her to sell their merchandise were going to be very angry because now she's not profitable anymore before she was being used to sell their idols. But now she's right with God. <laughs> she's not going to sell idols anymore for them. She's no longer demonically possessed. And they counted on her being demonically de- possessed to be a, a way to sell their merchandise. So that's why when, when Paul was in Philippi, she kept following them, saying, Hey, you're of the Holy One. You're a follower of Jesus. <laughs> he just kept saying, Go away. Go away. <laughs> Finally, she dogged them to such a point that Paul turned around and said, Get out of her! And like that, she was delivered. What took place? The merchant stirred up the people just like he knew they would. He got the government, the police on it. They grabbed him, threw him into the square, stripped him of his clothes, beat him, he didn't stand up for his rights there. Then they dragged him into the prison, and the Bible says that they thrust him into the lower dungeon. Thrust. No such thing as, oh, don't bump your head on the way in. <laughs> They're saying bump your head many times. Boom, 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 bam. It was at such a point, his back was ripped open. They put him in stocks with the back ripped open. He was suffering greatly. No food, no water, and he's sitting down there in this dungeon. Why didn't he start a fight for my rights campaign? He didn't. But now listen to this. When the Lord delivered him from the prison, and the doors broke. See, this is the reason why. Paul never felt he was a prisoner he always felt he was where he should have been. Why would he instigate a campaign to get out of the place that he knew the Lord wanted him to be? Amen? The flesh and your fight for rights many times takes you out of the place that God wants to use you in. And so, The Lord delivered him from that dungeon, causing an earthquake. The jailer gets saved. They go to the jailer's house. Um, The jailer's family gets saved. They dress his wounds. They take care of him. They love him. He baptizes the family. Guess what they do in the morning? Go back to the jail. Now, what happens? Well, they found out that Paul was a Roman citizen. And so, very underneath the knowledge of what's going on, he got a little note saying, oh, you're free to go. Bye-bye. He says, "Uh, hold on there. He stayed right there. He says, I need to talk to the boss. Because I am a Roman citizen. And they have done wrong. See, this is where he stood upon his right as a citizen. But not to get out of suffering. (laughs) To make sure that things were done right. Do you understand? Today, people fight for the rights because they don't want to suffer. That's the flesh. See, folks, that's why when people through this whole COVID thing, they made a decision not to get vaccinated or whatever. I never steered you one way or another if you want to do it if you don't want to don't do it but all you need to do is make sure when you do it make your decision especially if God's name is involved if you're going to make that decision you stick with it to the death or you gonna be like the man that started building the tower and halfway through did not have enough to complete and was mocked amen so whenever someone came to me and said they were fighting about the vaccination, I said, if you're going to use religious exemption, you're going to use these things, you just make sure if God's involved, you take it to the end. And by the way, there's suffering involved. So at the moment you get the suffering and you back out, you're a mockery. You understand that? <laughs> that was always my advice. You can ask anybody that really seriously asked me about it. That's what I told them. Amen. But I didn't say they were right with God or wrong with God because they did or didn't. <laughs> but if we're going to talk rights, we better make sure we're making the decision not to escape suffering. But if we're going to take a stand on principle, we're going to be willing to suffer right to the end. And I think all of you that went that way did exactly that. I'm proud of you. Amen. Proud of you. What a blessing. You know. And just because you didn't, it doesn't mean that you're worse. It just means this is what the Lord had spoken to their heart about. And they did what they needed to do. And it wasn't fighting for your rights to escape suffering. Because it brought you to it. Amen. Amen. So the flesh will always look to escape the suffering. Uh, You can tell when the flesh is talking by its fixation on rights. Nobody is going to treat me like this. See, that Paul didn't say that when he was in the prison. He never said, how dare you treat me like this? (laughs) He says, I know why you treat me like this, and this is God's will for my life. Amen? You have no right to do that to me. Who do you think you are? (laughs) That's a good one. That's a fleshly statement. Letter B, this is the reason we become defensive, is that the flesh seeks to defend its rights. You know, great peace have they which love thy law, nothing shall offend them. Amen? We become offended, that's when we begin fighting, that's the flesh. When our flesh strategies work, They become patterns. And so, you start with desires, you end up with strategies, and you finish with strongholds. And that's that next slide there. Do you see that? There you go. Desires, strategies, strongholds. So a child. A child will desire something, and because they want that, they're going to develop a strategy. Now, their strategy may may be dropping to the floor, kicking and screaming. And if that works, that means if mom and dad give in to the tantrum, that child is going to do it over and over and over again. See, they're going to develop a pattern. Why? Because the flesh wants something and it works. (laughs) Amen? When the flesh... When what they do with the flesh works, they're going to repeat it. Even a child, they're that smart that they know that. Now if they know they they throw a little hissy fit uh, and they'll get it, that's what they'll do every time. And chances are they'll use the same behavior every single time and mom and dad, smarten up man, you're not helping them by giving in to this strategy. (laughs) Like I told you, I many times tell my kids, we don't get things that way here. (laughs) We don't get things that way here. (laughs) We don't get things that way here. I want. We don't get that (laughs) those things like that here. You just constantly over and over. That's not the way you're getting what you want. See, you're defeating the strategy in their mind. You have to. If you don't. They're going to repeat and they're going to go, what's wrong with my kid? What am I doing wrong? You're giving in. That's what you're doing wrong. Never give in. Not one time. Not one time. If you give in one time, that will become a strategy. They'll do it again. (laughs) If you, in your lifestyle, don't like to be bothered, I like to relax. Stop bugging me. They know exactly when to come to you. When you don't want to be bothered. They'll enact a strategy at the right time for you just simply to say, okay, go ahead, whatever. Just leave me alone. They are that smart. At two, three, four years old. Don't underestimate them, little guys. (laughs) The Bible says... Foolishness is bound in the heart of the child. And but the rod of correction will drive it far from them. <laughs> Amen. So instead of giving in, say, what are you doing? You think you can have a temper tantrum here? Let's go deal with this. What? That's the only way to stop it. You let that child continue. And not even just children, teens, people in your home, stop it. Stop it. And even if it brings World War III, we're fighting this battle to the end. Last one standing wins. Amen? It's got to happen. It's got to happen. Every child of ours, we've all gone through a breaking point. Where it took hours and hours and hours of one situation where they would not say sorry. And you sat there for three, four hours dealing with them in very direct ways. Until finally, in their flesh, they died. Said, okay, I'm sorry. Uh Aha. What you just did is you broke their fleshly will. Don't break their spirit. That's not what this is about. It's not about wounding their spirit. It's about breaking their fleshly will. Amen? It's very important to do that. Every child should have an experience like that. They have to. Because they're sinners and they're fleshly. (laughs) And they have to learn, they say, boy, I never want to ever go through that again. And it's amazing how they change. (laughs) It's just like, are you born again or something? (laughs) No, they're not. They just have the foolishness driven from their heart by the rod of correction. Amen? Anyways, when we do not get what we want, we enact fleshly strategies to seek, to see which one will get us what we want. We can pout. child will stick out their lower lip and act like they've been wronged. Oh, I never get these things. Oh, you never do this for me. You do it for all the other kids. You don't do it for me. Pout. You give in to pouting, you're a bad parent. You're hurting your kids. Stop it. We don't get things like that here. Amen. You don't get things like that here. It ain't gonna happen, buddy. Hold your ground. Hold your ground. You're gonna fail. Those kids will grow up without lip, just they'll go to their boss, I want this day off. It's what they do. I was talking to my son at Walmart. He's working at Walmart. It's amazing. These guys. I don't know if I should say it. He might be watching listening. <laughs> no, he wouldn't be listening. <laughs> he had one guy who wanted Sunday off today. I would agree. Should not, we shouldn't work on Sundays. Should be in church. But he didn't want to be off because he wanted to go to church. He's just lazy. Amen. And so the boss said, No, you're working tomorrow. So he's okay, and he goes home. Half an hour later he calls. I hurt my leg on the way home. I can't come to work. The manager said this. (laughs) That leg better be broken or I'll shoot you. (laughs) I like that. That's good leadership. So, pouting. Throwing a temper tantrum. As a child throws oneself on the floor and screams until the parent gets frustrated, they give in. Same thing when we grow up. You let temper tantrums go, they'll have temper tantrums when they grow up. It'll just be different. They won't throw themselves on the floor, but they'll get right in the face and they'll punch or they'll whatever. They'll get arrested. They'll end up in jail. You know? How about this one acting cute, batting eyes, looking as innocent as possible. Draw out the word please, hoping to be found irresistible. Flesh. It's a fleshly strategy. How about like this Dad, can I have this? No, son, that's not good for you. Okay, Dad, I trust you. Please. It's the flesh. Oh, it's all cute. And they know that you're going to fall for the cuteness of it because how could it be wrong because it's so cute? It's wrong, and you're teaching them when they grow up, if they just stroke people, they're going to get what they want. It's a fleshly tactic, a strategy. Accusing. That's not fair. Others get things, and I don't. Happens all the time. Don't give in to that. Number five, shaming. Shaming. You hate me. You never do anything I want. Now you hate me. (laughs) Shaming you for it. Number six, bargaining. If you let me have this or do that, I promise I will do this. Now let me ask you this. What does that have to do with what the father and mother want for that child? Why should bargaining change what it is that you want for that child. And why are we giving in? So their whole life, they're going to be bargaining to get what they want. Because we didn't raise them right. Amen? Now you want Parenting 101, you just got it. You got it tonight. What I told you tonight can help your family profoundly, profoundly, if you just do it. But you know what? Oh, good message tonight, preacher. Two days later, what did he preach on? Forget. My goodness, man. Fight for your family for crying out loud. Fight for them. Change things. Do the right thing. Learn how you're going to shape them into what they need to be. And I know we are all weak. We all have failures. We don't do everything perfect. And you can throw some accusations at me. Go ahead and do it. That doesn't mean I'm wrong tonight. Amen? Amen? Doesn't mean I'm wrong. Letter D. Living in the flesh always leads to relational conflict. In our adult lives, these strongholds create severe problems in our marriages, our churches, our workplace. You want to know why churches split? The flesh. Workplaces problems? The flesh. Marriage problems? The flesh. Amen. Proverbs 13, 10 says, Only by pride cometh contention but with the well-advised is wisdom. There's a contention. There's pride. Pride is fleshly. Letter E. Walking in the Spirit will always require us to die to our fleshly desires and do the loving thing for others at our expense. That's walking in the Spirit. That's a whole lot different, different than pouting and trying to get my way. <laughs> Walking in the Spirit will require us to die to our fleshly desires. And then we'll say, you know, I love these people. I'm going to do what the right thing is for them. And it's not enabling, by the way. (laughs) Enabling people isn't loving. And many people enable others to continue in their sin because they call it loving. Folks, if someone is living wrong, (laughs) you do not condone that. You don't stroke them. You don't pat them on the back. You don't like their social media. You don't do any of that stuff. That's called enabling. Anytime you affirm a bad behavior, you have become an enabler. That's not love. In fact, that's far more self-love than it is loving others. You're far more concerned about what they think about you than whether they end up destroyed. Amen? Think about it. (laughs) This person, if they continue in this bad behavior, will they be destroyed? Well, yes. Well, if that's the case, I need to let them know that I'm not for this bad behavior. And I will in no way condone it, give them a thumbs up on it, Give them the like on the social media. Folks, do you understand how big of a problem that is in this world today? Even in Christian? Sometimes there's a rock concert that someone went to that's a Christian, and there's Christian people in Baptist churches liking it. That's enabling. Don't do it. Somebody's sitting there, oh, we're just having a good old time, uh, hanging out in the backyard drinking beer. Oh, like it. Stop it, man. Do you love them? Then walk in the Spirit for a change. Walk in the Spirit. Don't give them the like. Don't do it. Well, they'll think I don't like them. No. See, you just gave away the reason. The whole reason you like it is because you love yourself too much. It's the flesh You get that? (laughs) If we are walking in the Spirit, we are willing to have them hate us to do the right thing. And that's what Luke 14 talks about. (laughs) If any man hate not his mother, father, sister, brother, he says, you cannot be my disciple. You're not willing to have them hate you, you'll never be a follower of Christ. Never so you do not condone ever. (laughs) Can I say it again, (laughs) folks? Let Airdrie Baptist Church be a bunch of people that know when to not give the thumbs up to people's bad behavior. Love them. Hey, we love you. We want you to do right, but I will never give you a thumbs up on your bad behavior. I will never tell you it's okay but I'll always tell you that I love you and I'm willing to put my neck out for you. Amen? But folks, by joining up in their sin, by becoming a partaker of their sin, is not helping them. It's not helping them. You need to stop it. And folks, I wish I didn't see a lot of the social media that goes around our church. I see a lot of it. I'm looking, what are you doing? (laughs) Like, my goodness, man, are we the children of the king or what, you know? Come on, let's do right, let's do right, amen? Let's walk in the spirit, let's not walk in the flesh. So number three, flesh vows, flesh vows. A vow made in the flesh is an act of unbelief. These are some of those I will statements. I will never let myself be hurt this way again. I will never let anyone close enough to me find out how unlovable I am. I will never earn my dad's approval. You understand something? That's a wrong statement. If you're living your life for your dad's approval and then you make a vow like that, that's a fleshly statement. You don't know that's true. And you know what? Why would you even want it if you're going to live right and he doesn't want you to live right? But if you, want, if you live right, guess what? The Lord may just also touch his heart and he may give you approval. Amen? But any way you look at it, it's not up to you to make a vow about it. I will never treat my kids like my mom treated me. Well, what's wrong with that? Well, you're, you're making a decision based on the flesh, not on the spirit. What you ought to say is, I'm going to raise my kids according to the scripture. Not relating the upbringing of your kids to the negative way that you've been treated. That's a reaction of the flesh. <laughs> um, I will not lose. I will always find a way to win. I will never admit loss. I knew one guy, he told me at work, you never admit you're wrong. (laughs) I looked at him, I said, but what happens if you're wrong? You're never wrong. I walked away like this. Anyway, he lived that. He lived that philosophy. No matter what he did on the job, whether he cost the boss money, whether he broke something, whether he made the wrong choice, he was never wrong. He just went through it deceiving himself, I'm always right. So he must have made a vow at some point that said, I will always be right. <laughs> that's the flesh. I will, no, I will not have a marriage <clears throat> like the ones my parents had. Now, maybe you won't, and maybe you shouldn't, <laughs> you know, but that's not the way that you make a decision to go forward for God by making a vow about the negative aspect of you growing up. What you say is, I wanna, by God's grace, to follow the scriptures and to have a scriptural marriage. Not comparing it to your mom and dad. (laughs) Because the first thing is, you don't even know what's going on with your mom and dad. You may think you do, but you probably don't. Amen? I'll always choose pleasure over pain. If it's painful, I'm staying away from it. I just want things to feel good. Well you'll never serve God. <laughs> you just never will serve God. You'll never do a thing for God because you know what? When you serve God, it's pain. I was thinking about that. I said, man, there'd be so many much easier things to do than just pastor a church. You know, it's not like I'm out there having to lift a thousand pounds. But man, the negativity, the things that people say, the, the place you put your family in sometimes, the, you put them up to be shot at over and over again, saying, Man, like, is this worth it, Lord? <laughs> you know? Don't get negative. The worst thing I can do is, I will never let somebody treat my kids like this in this church. You know what? Maybe the Lord wants them to feel pain. Maybe the Lord wants them, just like David, when he was, I was singing about that this week. Again, uh, I think about this guy a lot. Is Most people don't even know who he is in the scripture, but his name is Shimei. I remember when David left Jerusalem, and he was out on the hilltop there, and he's yelling out and cursing at David. And Abishai says, should I go take off his head? <laughs> and David said, no. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great to have somebody beside you? He's like, want me to take his head off? Man, if I'd have someone like that. <laughs> we got a couple of guys back there. I'll do it. (laughs) Hold on there, boys. (laughs) Wow. But David knew. He says, you know what? No, don't take his head off because the Lord sent him. Boy, there you have a man walking in the spirit. Walking in the spirit. You've got no right to say that to me. (laughs) I will never let somebody do that to me ever again. Imagine if David would have said that made a vow in the flesh. Right? He never did. But you know what? It didn't stop him later. When Solomon became king, he remembered Shimei. He said, Solomon, remember that guy that was This is the deal I made with him. I said if he left that particular region, that we would kill him. As long as he stays put, we're gonna let him live. Solomon, he grabbed on that. He heard that he left that region. No mercy. Heard you laugh. Oh yeah, I had a couple of donkeys that got away from me. Abishai, take his head off. Years later. Wow. Isn't that something? There is retribution at some point. It does come back to roost. But we can't do it to escape the suffering. Amen. That's where the flesh is involved. We're trying to keep ourselves from pain. You can't do it. I'll never trust God again. Here's some... Uh, we're gonna, I'm just going to go past this. We'll be done. This is the last one. Renouncing vows. I just want to give you four quick points here. 2 Corinthians four two. it says this. But have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God... So what we want is a conscience that is clear before the Lord. And where we can commend ourselves in the sight of people say, "Hey, take a look. Look at where I'm at. I'm trying to be above board here. Renouncing the hidden things of dishonesty. There are things that we bury from way back in our life that are buried right in there and it's dishonest. There's lies that we're believing about ourselves, lies about our situation, vows that we've made based on those lies. And the Lord says, you need to get rid of that. So the first thing you need to do is confess. I confess, I made a vow that this. I made a vow, Lord, that I would never let my family go through that again. I confess that before you. That's not my place. You've got a plan for my family. and I need to put it into your hands. I need to trust you. Amen. So you need to confess those vows. What is it? Is there something right now at the top of your mind? There's something you've made, something you've determined. You're not going to, your flesh is controlling the situation, controlling the pain. Tonight you need to confess that. Then you need to cancel it. That means I renounce that vow and ask Jesus to cancel any claim it has given to the enemy in my life. That's like Ephesians chapter 4, 17, where it says, neither give place to the devil. I'm taking ground back from the devil that he has gained in my life through that vow. That's what that means. Cancel, renounce, amen? And then command. With a lie is always the presence of Satan. He is behind every lie. And if you have lived a life of making vows and determining these things to control your life, many times abuse, people people that have been abused, make very serious vows. I will never be out of control again. That's a big one for young ladies that have been sexually abused. They'll say, I'm going to try to control everything. That's why whenever there's something out of control, their schedule goes out of control, something, they, just, they just don't know how to handle it. That's because of the vow. Amen? It's messed up their life. Like I said, it's not about what happened to you. It's not about the wound. You can have a big wound, a little wound. <laughs> Folks, that's all allowed by the Lord for your life. It's not about the wound, it's about the lie that has been planted in the wound. That's what needs to be dealt with. So command, in the name of Jesus, I command any wicked spirit who took advantage of this vow in my life to leave now. Go where the Lord Jesus sends you and take all of your works and effects with you. Command them to go in the name of Jesus Christ. You all well, that sounds pretty spooky. Oh, like the spiritual realm isn't there. We're going through Dan, and you just wait. We'll learn a lot about this. (laughs) Amen. It's real. Number four, commit. I commit myself to trust God with my fears and invite Jesus to be Lord in this area of my life. I've been hurt by people. I've been hurt in relationships. Instead of cutting people off, I'm going to keep moving forward and trust the Lord with the future. Amen? That way the Lord can guide me wherever he wants me to go. There are so many people not doing the will of God today because their vows are keeping them away from the will of God. They'll violate their vow if they do it. (laughs) Well, I don't like being in front of people. Why? I know what that's like. I was there. Imagine if I would have made that vow. I'm not going to ever be in front of people. It's because I went through pain that way. I've been humiliated. Like many people have. And so we make a vow. So I'm never going to. Well, what if the Lord wants you to be a preacher? <laughs> Amen. Ladies, you don't got to worry about it. But men. Men. What if the Lord wants you to be a preacher? Your vow is keeping you from your purpose. Renounce it. Get rid of it you should have seen me. You would have never thought I'd be somebody that would stand behind a pulpit and preach a message. You said, man, that guy, he doesn't even look me in the eye. I remember going to a restaurant. I wouldn't even look at people in the eye when I made my order. That's how down I felt about myself. That's how my identity had been messed up by the things that I'd gone through in my life, the thoughts that went in my head. I was making all kinds of decisions, what I would do and what I wouldn't do. When I finally went forward for God, <laughs> He had to show me, because I was full of fear. And you know what? I still dealt with fear even after pastoring. But you know something? I, I stepped forward in the midst of the fear. The Lord gave me a passage in 1 John chapter 4, verse number 17. He says, perfect love casts out all fear. He says, do you love me? Then I was faced with a question. Am I gonna let my fear control my life? Or do I really love God? I'm just so grateful at that point in my life, especially. I love God with all of my heart. There was nothing I wouldn't do. And so I jumped past that barrier. I went past that fear, and it was very scary, and it was very hard. And I got up in front of people. And I testified and I preached and I did. And every time I'd be trembling going before, and I'd fast and pray. Every time I'd go before, uh, preach a message. But I said, Lord, I'm not going to let fear keep me from doing your will anymore. Because I love you more than I fear them. And that really has got to come down. <laughs> In each one of our lives, that's it. Our vows are dangerous. Dangerous. And they're satanically motivated. And they're held on by Satan's hand. And he wants you not to trust God with one area of your life. He wants to keep you right where you are, chained up by your vows. And you need to renounce it. Let's bow.